Please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 17. Hear now the word of God. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, Not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. The only son of his mother And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. May God bless this reading of his word. Amen. Please be seated. Interesting stories, and I know Mike is is preaching through Luke, and he asked me to to preach this section for him. I hope that I I do a suitable job for him and and what he wanted to do, because he did want to stay on schedule with with what's going on. Uh, By the way, I really like Mike. Uh, He he seems to be a really great guy. Uh, I'm very 
pleased that he's here for you and that God has, has brought him uh, for this congregation. Uh, such a great guy. I think that there's wonderful things ahead in, in his ministry. Um, what is this about, these stories? We just read two stories. One story, there was a guy who was sick, really sick. And he was a servant in the household of a centurion, which is a big military guy. I'm talking to the kids. You, you, you adults can listen on. Okay. But the, the, these kids, they're focused. You adults, you know, see if you can keep up. Okay. So there's this big military guy, kind of like a general, maybe a colonel, but maybe a general as well. And he lived in this house in this town, and he had some servants, and there's this one servant that was really one of his favorite servants, because this servant not only did a good job, but he did it with a good attitude. And he did it cheerfully. He was a cheerful server. I'm sure he was. And he got sick. And he got really, really sick. Even to the point that everyone really expected this servant to die. Now this general, he's not from Israel. He's not Jewish. He's from Rome. But he's in Israel. And while he's there, he has this command that he has to, to, to manage. But he, he came to know about the God of the Israelites, the God of the Bible. And there's something about the God of the Bible that really spoke to him as he got to know more. He became one who was really friendly towards the religion of the Jewish people. In fact, he thought it was nice that he had the opportunity to... To build them a church. He built them a synagogue. He had enough power and enough might and enough wealth that this town that he lived in did not have a church, did not have a synagogue. And so he decided he was going to build one for them. And so he built the synagogue for them. And so all the Jewish people loved this guy. They thought he was was really the best neighbor they could ever have. And if they had to have a Roman general in their midst, this is the guy they wanted to have this guy who is friendly, who understood about the God of Israel and who is willing to give and to sacrifice for the sake of the people that he was there controlling, really, in a military way. And so when this general came and he heard about Jesus, this this prophet, this teacher who is doing incredible things all around Israel, he went to the Jewish leaders and said, Would you go and talk to Jesus and have him come heal my servant? Because I love this servant. And so they go and they talk to Jesus. And and they, they have it in their mind that this guy is worthy. That because he's a good guy. He's a friend. He's done good things. He's even built the church. So please, Jesus, go and help this guy. Because if you go and help this guy, it's going to be even better for us. There's going to be consequences that I think will be positive for us in this community. And so Jesus agrees and goes. And while he's on the way, an incredible thing happens. The general sends some men. When Jesus is coming, he's probably not that far away. In fact, probably the general could see him through the windows. Could probably see, it says he's not far away. And he sends his servants because all of a sudden this general gets convicted and says, 
I can't, I'm not worthy. I can't have this guy in my house. I'm not worthy to have him come and be under my roof. This is the, this is the great teacher. This is the one who heals. This is the great prophet. And so he sends his servants with the message, sends his men with the message, just speak the word. Just speak it. You don't have to be here. And, and, and I know my servant will be healed. And Jesus is amazed. Jesus just, what faith. What faith this man has that you know, others want to see me do things. They want me to change water into wine. They want me to, to bring sight to the blind. They want me to help those who are lame to walk. Everyone's always asking for a sign. Everyone's always asking for something important to be done. Something miraculous to happen. And this man, he gets it. This man gets it. The power is in what I am and who I am. And I can make it happen even if I'm not there. And so this servant is healed. What an incredible story. That Jesus saves this servant because of the faith of the centurion. And gives him his life and his health back. And in the next story, verse 11, it says, Soon afterwards, some versions say, the very next day. I mean, this is right away. Now, Nain is about 25 miles away from Capernaum. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a long way to walk. So it could be that Jesus left in the afternoon and then got there uh, the afternoon of the day before and got there the next day, in the middle of the day. Or maybe he left early in the morning and got there in the evening. You know, we don't really know the time of day just yet, but it was really just right after this had happened with the centurion and the servant. And so he's now coming into this town and he sees a funeral. Basically, he sees a funeral. Funerals are sad. People are crying. They're upset. And this is a sad story. Because it's a widow who's already lost her husband. And she only has one child, a son. And the word that's used basically refers to someone who is under 40. So he's maybe in his 20s or 30s. But, you know, a young man. And he's dead. We don't know what caused his death. We don't know what happened. But he's dead and the widow is crying and the whole town is crying because they feel so badly for this woman who's had such difficult things happen in her life and now her only son. And Jesus has compassion. Jesus is moved by this scene. His heart aches for this woman. He gets emotional about what he sees in the scene that is there. And he comes up to the woman and says, it's going to be okay. Don't, don't weep any longer. And he touches the funeral. It's actually pronounced beer. But I didn't know if you know, I said buyer because that's probably the way. We, if I say beer, some of y'all might get the wrong idea. I had to look that up in the, in the Webster's because uh, basically he touches the coffin. Let me just say that. He touches the container, the coffin, where this body is. Which in 
the Jewish laws basically was not allowed. That, that made him unclean when he would touch something that had a dead body in it. But he did it anyway. Here he could have spoken as he did with the servant the day before, but instead he comes up and he touches. Because there are times when it's okay just to speak the authority and the power, and there are other times when we need the gentleness of the touch and the physical presence. And so Jesus comes up and touches the coffin and speaks to the young man. And he comes to life. And he comes to life. Now, we're not there. So it makes us maybe smile. Maybe it gives us goosebumps. You know what happened with the people who were there? They got scared. <laughs> they got scared. The word is fear here. But the, that word, every time it's used in the Gospels, basically means dread and terror. They felt a terror. I mean, think about it. If you go to a funeral... And, the, and, you know, picture it. What are you going to do? You're going to be scared silly. It was an awful, frightful thing. But it was a good thing. And the people finally saw that and saw, wow, this Christ has this power and this love and this compassion for this widow and he brings her son back to life and gives the son back to the woman to be with her and to help her and to support her. So what are the messages we get from these two stories? What are the conclusions we draw? Do we draw the conclusion that Jesus can keep us from dying? Well, maybe. Will he do that? Probably not. But he can. How many of us know of people who have had terrible injuries? Who've had incredibly bad illnesses? And they have lived. And we say, God intervened. And there were miracles there. God can do that. Jesus can do that. Can he bring us all back to life? Maybe. He's got the power. Is he going to do that? Probably not. That's not the message we need to get from this passage, but he can. In fact, the scriptures tell us that there will come a day when he will. When he will restore all people to life again. And the bodies will be raised and there will be a coming back together, the spirit, the body, the resurrection of the body. He will do that, but in this particular life and existence as we know it today, He can, but probably won't. So what's the message? Are those the messages we need to get? Well, there may be a piece of it. The real message has to do with authority. Capernaum if you go back and look at all the passages where Capernaum is mentioned in the Gospels, and I have done that. I've done my homework a little bit here. 
There are, uh, let's see, let me do my math. I didn't add them all up. I'm sorry. Uh, four and three is seven. Y'all helping me here? That's four and three is seven, and four more is 11, and five is 16. 16 passages where Capernaum is mentioned. And often what's going on in Capernaum is this issue of who is Jesus? Jesus left Nazareth, where he was born and raised, and the scriptures tell us that he moved to Capernaum. Capernaum was basically where he lived. We don't think he had a house there. It does talk about that, that he does come home to Capernaum, but he probably lived, he came, probably came home to Peter's house or to someone else's house that was there. But he had a place where he lived. In fact, the story, remember the story of the, of the guy who, who couldn't walk and his four friends took him up on the roof? Y'all remember that story? Took him up on the roof and they started taking apart the tile so they could lower him down into the, into the room before Jesus. It basically is the story where um, it's, in, it's in actually in Mark chapter 2. I'm going to turn over there because I, I want to read exactly how this uh, took place here. It says in verse 1, And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Whatever house he was staying in, that was his house. That was his home. He probably didn't own it. It wasn't in his name. But that's where he lived when he was in Capernaum. It's at that house that they took the roof off. <laughs> They're saying, great, we got Jesus coming live with us and people come tear our roof off. But they lowered him down before and he said, basically, your sins are forgiven you. And everyone's taken back by that. And he says, in order that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he tells the man to rise, take up his bed, and go home. It's about authority. Usually Jesus, when he was in Capernaum on, on the Sabbath, he would go to the synagogue. The synagogue probably that this centurion built. He'd go to the synagogue and he would teach. And the scriptures very commonly say, and the people were amazed when Jesus would preach and teach to them because he did it with one as one who had authority. He did it with one who had power. His words had authority and power. In fact, the word authority means power. And so when Jesus would speak, he meant it. He knew what he was talking about. He was talking about God and the things of the scripture. And he meant it. And people saw that. And it had authority. Who is this guy? Elsewhere in the scriptures, we know that even the wind and the waves obey him. When they wake him up in the boat and he says, hush now, be still. We know that he can walk on the water. His disciples were in a boat going back to Capernaum. They were going home. He was delayed because he had to visit with the crowd. And so he caught up with the boat by walking on the water. Scared the daylights out of those guys. But he has authority. He has power. He has might. It all belongs to him. I believe these passages from Luke 7 are there to show us the authority and the level of the power that he has. He has authority over life and he has authority over death. 
Romans 8. You may be familiar with that passage. In particular, verses 37 through 39 say this. And all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you catch that in verse 38? Neither death nor life, nor anything else. Nothing can separate us. Nothing has power greater than Jesus' power. Jesus has the greatest power, period. Over life, death, other powers, other things, other principalities. You imagine it, Jesus' power is greater. That's the message. He has authority. What is your authority? What is your authority in your life as you face the things of life? There are times in this world when we shun authority. We don't like authority. We don't want to submit to authority. We want to be our own authority. Reminds me of the book of Judges. Where there it says that there was a period of time in the history of Israel where there was no king. And every man did what he wanted to do. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. I believe we are reliving something of the book of Judges era in our culture. I think it's ironic that it's the book of Judges who that reminds us about everyone doing their own thing. Because what's happening in our culture? It's the Judges who are changing laws who are making laws, who are doing things to let people do what they want to do. It just strikes me as ironic that from the scriptures, the book called Judges, and in our culture, it's the actual people who are judges who are both dealing with people wanting to do their own thing. But the reality is there is an authority. There is a power. There is a judge who is the ultimate judge. Jesus demonstrates this in Luke 7 by saying just a word and someone who is at death's door is healed. Jesus shows his authority in name by coming and gently and compassionately touching the coffin. And the dead man is raised to life. He has authority over all of life, over all of death, over all powers, all principalities. There is absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing that can separate us from that love. So what is your authority? What is your power? The book of Revelation right after, at the very end of chapter 20, It describes that death and Hades, the place of of the grave, hell, 
were thrown into the lake of fire and destroyed. And death was no more. And in chapter 21 it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. That's the power. That's the authority. Let me apply that a little bit. And then I'll be done. I was struck by the words of the confession. Actually. You know, a lot of times in church, the order of things prohibits us from really focusing in on what has just been said or what has just been written or what God has just spoken to you in your own heart. I don't know how to get around that other than what I do, and I think it would be okay, Mike, for me to give you permission to do this. If not, I won't be coming back to see you. (laughs) But when God speaks to you in in the verse of a hymn, or a passage of scripture, or in something that is written, listen. Listen to what God is saying. Even if you stop singing the rest of the hymn, even if you stop saying the rest of the prayer of confession, because God is speaking to you. And He wants that particular message to come through to you. That's what you need to hear from him at that moment, at that time. And what I heard, what I heard in this, is that this gives personal, practical examples of what happens when we don't trust in the authority of Christ. When we don't believe that he rules. When we haven't really submitted ourselves completely to him. Now, I know none of us do it perfectly. We will always need this confession. We will always need it. Because there will never come a time, this side of heaven, when we'll get these things right. But we can grow in them. We can be aware of them. We don't have to deny them and pretend like these aren't true. We can admit that they're true. And say, God, help me this next time that you say, lift up your eyes and look. Or use your hands and do that I will say, yes, Lord. Because I am trusting you to be my Lord, to be my God, to be my authority, to be my power. You have the power of life and death. At one point, Jesus confronts his disciples and saying, do you guys want to leave me as well? Because the people were were running away from Jesus because things were beginning to collapse in on him. And the response was, To whom else will we go? You have the words of life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though he dies. Do you believe that? Is that the Jesus 
that is in your heart, that is your God, that you have surrendered all of your life to. Not because you're perfect, not because of what you can do, because of the greatness of who He is and the incredible compassion and power that He has. And He loves us. Just like He loved that widow who lost her only child. He loves us. And He knows us. He knows we're frail. He knows we're fragile. He knows that we are like reeds that can be broken a little bit or fragile. We're like the wind. We're, we're like the grass that the wind blows away. We, we are weak vessels. We are earthen vessels. And He knows that. And yet He loves us. It's about authority. He is the authority. And there will come a day when His authority will be clear across all of creation and every knee will bow and every tongue confess. But we have the incredible privilege of bowing our knees and using our tongues today to acknowledge His authority in our lives. To His glory. Amen. Thank you.